girls, aliens, Martians, any conscious being tuning into the podcast, I welcome you to episode 9 of Martian Mixed Martial Arts. On today's episode, we will be quickly recapping UFC Fight Night Bellum, uh, which was headlined by Leota Machida and Eric Anders last week, and then we will be uh, previewing uh, the UFC 221 headlined by Luke Rockhold versus Yoel Romero for the interim middleweight championship. So, get starting uh, right off the bat with last week's card, we had a uh, pretty pretty lackluster card. You know, wasn't expecting it to be anything special, but uh, it definitely lived up to the you know its lackluster potential. Um, I uh, the first fight that I caught live was Thiago Santos versus Anthony Smith. I missed the whole prelims. I was uh, watching a friend of mine make his uh, pro MMA debut in a, a live pro MMA show in Philadelphia, so I missed the, the first five fights, but didn't miss anything too uh, groundbreaking, I believe. I um, think uh, Yuri Alcantara flatlined Joe Soto really quickly. That was kind of surprising. Um, Viana submitted uh, Maya Stevenson. That was kind of expected. Uh, unexpectedly, Alan Patrick uh, you know, grinded out Demir uh, Hadzovic to a decision. Thought uh, Demir would do a lot better in that fight, but um, the uh, the Brazilians were uh, shining in this card. Uh, they started off the card seven and zero, and then uh, you know ended up finishing uh, finishing out two and two from those last fights. So still nine and two on the night for Brazilians. Pretty pretty incredible statistic. Um, so yeah, the first fight live I caught though was Thiago Santos versus Anthony Smith. This fight was. Uh, these guys were swinging for the fences, you know. They were both chasing the finish. They both, you know, are knockout artists, and, you know, that's obviously what they were going for in this fight. The first round was pretty crazy, you know. Um, Smith landed some punches, you know, to kind of make it competitive and exciting, but for the most part, Santos was, you know, controlling it, landing big shots, controlling the pace, you know, had the entire crowd going behind him, so... That was a pretty exciting fight. Um, wonder if it won fight of the night. Yes, it did. Um, so, you know, obviously uh, the uh, fight of the night award explains, you know, that it was exciting. So um, moving on, we had uh, Douglas Silva DeAndrage basically just school Marlon Vera for the entire length of this fight. Um, wasn't really expecting that either, you know. Hadn't really seen De- uh, Dion Drudge fight much, but uh, I tell you what, man, this guy looks like a carbon copy of John Linker. Like, down to the fucking detail. He's got the mohawk, he's short, he's uh, a bantam weight, you know, even though um, Linker started off as a flyweight, but they're both heavy hitters. You know, in the in the style they fight, it's it's a little similar, but you know, Linker obviously chases uh, the finish more, way more powerful. He's got a lot better skill, but he uh, the way Andrade stands and holds his hands, he looks identical. It's it's crazy. Uh, moving on to the card, we had uh, Tim Johnson grind out Marcel Gome to a decision. This was a really interesting fight. Um, 
had a bet on Johnson decision before the fight started, and then uh, after round one, which I believe Tim Johnson won, he was plus 230, I believe, uh, or 240, actually, um, excuse me, um, after the first round. So I live bet him after the first round. The second round, I believe Golm won, but it was close. And then the third round, uh, Tim Johnson won clearly. But after the second round, also, after it was probably 1-1, Tim Johnson was still like a plus 300 uh, underdog going into the round, which is crazy. People were just so convinced that there was an obvious Brazil bias going on, which there might have been because earlier in the night— Sergio Marias and Tim Means had kind of a controversial decision, which a lot of people thought Tim Means won, but because Marias uh, is Brazilian, you know, the event was in Brazil, that uh, maybe nudged him in the right direction for the decision, which is totally possible. You know, you'd be naive to think that, um, you know, the crowd and that bias can't, you know, can't play a factor in the judges' decisions because it does. And it doesn't matter whether you're on the regional level or you're, um, you know, uh, uh, at uh, the world class level like the UFC, um, you're, the judges aren't gonna are gonna be easily influenced by you know very uh, you know not important things to the fight. You know, like it doesn't matter how loud the crowd cheers when the home guy you know lands a whatever strike or uh, takedown or something. You know, you gotta watch the fight impartially, but that's hard to do when the crowd is cheering along. Um, so uh, that decisions and judges will come in uh, into play later in the night, but we'll get there eventually. Um, the next fight, oh, so yeah, uh, Tim Johnson uh, cashed cashed me out pretty well on live betting. That was awesome. Um, you know, he ended up uh, winning the decision. Was the first non-Brazilian of the night to win, so he definitely defied the odds. And uh, you know, he was an underdog pre-fight somehow, and um, you know, won, won some good money on him. So. Um, the next fight was Michael Pizarris versus Desmond Green. Pizarris missed weight at this at 161 pounds for a lightweight fight, so five pounds over the limit. And um, he uh, was supposed to come into the arena at under 173 pounds, or Desmond Green had the option to, you know, not take the fight. But uh, Michael Bazaris, being the asshole that he is, shows up to the arena at 180 pounds, seven pounds over that 173 limit, and, you know, Desmond Green is like, fuck it, I'm taking the fight anyway. He's all weighed in. He's, you know, had the entire camp. He had the flight down to Brazil. He's going to take the fight. Um, unlike unlike uh, John Dodson, who in this card was his opponent, Pedro Munoz, was uh, weighed in at 139 for his 130. No, maybe it was 140. Maybe 139, 140 for his 135-pound uh, fight. Uh, and um, John Dodson went ahead and did not take the fight with him, uh, you know, for a pretty good reason, you know. Uh, Pedro Munoz weighed in at uh, four pounds over, that means he sacrifices 20% of his purse. And if he won the fight, then John Dodson got 40% of his purse. However, um, Pedro Munoz is only getting, I believe, 10000 10, or 15000 a show or something something terrible. Um, so John Dodson would have only made an extra two or $4,000 for you know, taking a very risky fight. Um, 
where the guy didn't cut weight or didn't cut as much weight. Uh, and it wasn't it wasn't a situation where the guy cutting weight was uh, super dehydrated or sick of some sort and couldn't uh, couldn't cut any more weight. Like had to go to the hospital. His hotel, I believe, ran out of hot water or like their hot water pipes weren't working, and that was their excuse for not making the weight. So they said uh, that's just a terrible excuse, you know. Uh, so John Dodson kind of makes sense for him not to take the fight there. Um, that fight is uh, rescheduled for UFC 222, March 3rd in Vegas. So uh, it's um, not the worst thing in the world to have a fight rescheduled, but I was kind of looking forward to that fight. Um, kind of expected that uh, Munoz was going to get an upset. Uh, I believe he was an underdog in that fight um, because, you know, John, John Dodson is just a uh, much more seasoned veteran but uh, Munoz has been doing really well lately, has got really good chokes, and, um, you know, had an opportunity to win that fight. But maybe after missing weight, we'll see the, the betting lines even more skewed, and he'll be um, even more of an underdog, and maybe you can get some uh, some action on his subline again. Um, co-main event that replaced Dodson versus Munoz was uh, Valentina Shevchenko versus Priscilla Cachuera. Which was a huge mismatch on paper, you know. Uh, Valentina Shevchenko is probably top five pound for pound women in the world, uh, in the same category as uh, Nunez, Joanna, Rose, Cyborg. Um, those, you know, five women are the top five in in the game today. And she was matched up against a girl who never fought in the UFC before. Uh, had no high level experience and was basically just thrown to the dogs in this fight. Nobody else wants to fight Valentina. Uh, this is her first fight at flyweight. So they had this Priscilla uh, girl step up and take the fight. And, you know, they were the UFC is criticized for making such a, a mismatch on paper. But, you know, nobody wanted to fight Shevchenko. So it's not their fault. Um, you know, this girl has, has got some balls for signing the contract. And, um, you know, a lot, a lot of controversy around this fight. A lot of people complaining that it was a really late stoppage from Mario Yamasaki. Uh, I didn't really notice the late stoppage because I bet on Shevchenko round three. So even though the strikes in this fight were 215 to one, uh, just a total beatdown, I wanted it to go to the third round and uh, have Shevchenko maybe get the get the finish in the third. But it didn't quite last that long. Stopped uh, with 35 seconds left in the second round. Just an all-out slaughter. Um, I don't. I don't necessarily think that Yamasaki should have stopped the fight earlier. I think the girl was doing a good job of defending uh, or trying to scramble out of the positions. Definitely didn't see like she was giving up. That girl is tough as shit. And then even after the fight, she was saying that no, it's not the ref's fault. I mean, I wanted to fight. I still was trying to, you know, escape and defend myself. So. I don't really see much problem with Yamasaki in this. You know, he has made some mistakes in the past, but uh, he did make some pretty questionable comments. You know, he said, I, I like, you know, the fighting spirit. I like when fighters, you know, come back. So I gave Priscilla the chance to be a warrior and come back from this fight. But 
Unfortunately, she didn't. He actually said, I gave her the chance to be a warrior, which Ariel Helwani commented that, you know, that's kind of an alarming thing to say for a referee. It just doesn't make much sense. Um, you never hear a super intelligent guy like Chomp McCarthy say something like that. So who knows where his mindset is. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't really uh, ref that many fights anymore. But when he does, it seems like he makes mistakes somewhat often. So that's not good. Who knows what we'll, uh, what we'll see happen with Mario Yamasaki. I don't really care either way. Uh, main event, uh, Leona Machida versus Eric Anders. Eric Anders was a pretty big favorite going into this fight. A lot of people, including myself, thought Machida was just done, you know, couldn't take a shot anymore. And, you know, he did take some pretty good shots in this fight. Um, Anders didn't really land any uh, gigantic left hands like he usually does. He landed a pretty nasty elbow on some ground and pound that sliced Machida open. And at some points in the fight, it looked like Machida could have been done. Um, I think he lost the first round or two, but, uh, you know, the second round was close. So I think in Brazil, a lot of the or a couple of judges gave him that round, Machida, the second. Then I believe Machida won, uh, th th hmm, I'm tr I don't really remember this fight too much. I believe Machida won three and five. Does that make sense? I don't know. I, Machida definitely won the fifth, okay? I, I remember I remember thinking it was two rounds. There was two clear rounds to, uh, for each fighter, and then the second was a little up in the air. So I think, I think, uh, damn, I'm really just hypothesizing here, sounding like a moron, but I think Machida won the um, third, fourth, and fifth, maybe, and the the... No, no, that doesn't sound right. I'm not, I'm not even going to hypothesize. Who the fuck knows? Uh, all this fight came down to is there was one close round, and um, basically the, the Brazilian judges just gave that close round to Machida, and he won the split decision. Um, the odds in this fight were crazy. I think after round four, Machida was plus 700, which was just a huge, huge uh, mismatch. Um they just they just didn't factor in the fact that these Brazilian judges could go give in this fight to Leoto if it was close, which it was, and they were not the odds makers were not um, anticipating how close it was, and they got burnt because Machida won the decision. And um, I, I live bet Machida I think twice during the fight. Should have bet a lot more, but ended up just making enough money back to uh, earn to uh, hedge out my uh, my Anders round one bets from before the fight. Um, so the card itself wasn't wasn't the worst, you know. Won a little bit of money on it, so it could couldn't could have been a lot worse. But look, um, you know, the fight fight nights with that uh, that lackluster of a card didn't really have too much high expectations to begin with. So moving on to the the card this weekend, um, you know, it could be disguised as a fight night too if you didn't see the title of it, but. Um, we have uh, UFC 221 taking place in Perth, Australia. Um, it's February 11th for them in uh, uh, in Aussie land, but uh, for us Americans, it'll be a normal time, 10 p.m. Saturday night. Um, this card is pretty weak, you know. It, it has a, a couple of, uh, you know, Fan fan matchups. Not not even that. It's not like there's. It's not even like there's. Uh, there's really good matchups in this card. There's just a couple fighters um, who are uh, 
who are, you know, just anticipated to see, let's say, like uh, Israel. Uh, I don't even know how to say his last name. Or if his, if, if you pronounce it Israel, it could be Israel. Um, Adesanya. Uh, he was, you know, a former glory kickboxer. He was really high-level kickboxer, and he's been transitioned into MMA. And uh, he's making his uh, his UFC debut this weekend, so that should be interesting to see. Um, he's a middleweight. He's a he's a pretty big, like lanky dude. Um, he uh, was a really really uh, popular uh, kickboxer in Glory, um, but uh, over the past like three or four years, I believe he's making his MMA uh, debut. He is eleven and now I believe. Oh no, he's not. He's five and five and one. Wow, I was really uh, overestimating him. Um, Oh, no, no, yeah, he is. Yeah, he is. Also, got a nice boxing record. Yeah, eleven and zero in uh, MMA, um, with uh, eleven stop, eleven TKO stoppages. So, uh, none of them passed the second round either. So this guy's definitely got a lot of uh, a lot of question marks. You know, like how how his cardio is, how he's going to do against super high level talent. Um, but I mean, Rob, Rob Wilkinson is not not really a slouch either. You know, he's uh, also has a good record. I believe ten, ten and one. Uh, eleven and one, um, so uh, you know hasn't ha- hasn't gotten a win in the UFC yet, but uh, is definitely uh, definitely still and still not a slouch. They definitely could have given him an easier contender because you know this guy has potential to be uh, a star. Uh, that is uh, Israel Adi I guess like, I'll learn how to pronounce it after this weekend for sure. Uh, on the undercard of this fight, uh, this uh, card we have uh, Teru. Terutu Ishihara versus Jose Quinoez. Um, yeah, Terutu uh, Ishihara is uh, Team Alpha Male, uh, the Japanese guy. He's been kind of struggling in the UFC lately. Um, he's lost two of his last three, um, dropping decisions to Gray Maynard and uh, Artem Lobov as well. So. Hopefully he can, uh, you know, bounce back this weekend. Uh, don't really know much about his opponent, Jose Quinoez, but um, see what's going on here. Six and two, three and one in the UFC. Um, he's uh, Alejandro Perez two times. Um, so uh, seems like uh, yeah, he's a me- Mexican fighter. Um, so yeah, don't really have too many expectations for that fight. Um, Next fight, we have Ross Pearson versus Mitsoto Hirota, um, another uh, Japanese uh, UFC fighter on this card. Interesting. Uh, I don't know if they did that for a reason with it being in Australia or not. They have a lot of uh, a lot of guys from that region. You know, Dong Hyun Kim, uh, he's a uh, South Korean fighter. Lee Jingling, he's a uh, Chinese fighter. I wonder where it's... Safarov Safarov is from uh, Russia, so they have a lot of guys from you know that there's a, uh, I don't even know what, what what is it West yeah I guess just Western Western country no 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 it's maybe they're Eastern, I don't even know what part of the world Australia you know all that's considered, um but uh I don't know I, I guess that I guess the UFC did that on purpose um, uh Ben Nguyen versus Juicy Formiga this is actually probably the best matchup on the or besides the main event the best matchup on the card these guys are really evenly matched up um formiga you know has has a good ground game for some reason he just doesn't really like uh utilizing in his fights um he's kind of been struggling lately too lost two of his last four fights to cejudo and ray borg 
Um, but, you know, he's always close fights, always, um, you know, he's never really too dominant. Uh, sometimes when he can get the fight to the ground, he's able to finish, but not really a finisher um, in terms of uh, in terms of his uh, striking abilities. But uh, Ben Ben Nguyen's really awesome fighter. You know, really cool guy. He's four and one in the UFC, only losing to, to Luis Smolka. But he's been getting getting way better every night. I mean, he choked out Tim Elliott in his last fight. Um, so I mean, that's. I mean, Tim Elliott is pretty much known for being uh, a, a submission specialist, and uh, Ben uh, was able to choke him out too. So um, I think I think Ben will win this one. I think uh, he's got better finishing instinct, and Formiga is is you know I don't think like I said he doesn't really chase the finish, so he's kind of susceptible to be finished on his own because I think his game plan is just always to win decisions by you know grinding and doesn't really doesn't really just seem like a guy who. <laughs> wants to wants to win in a very dominant way uh, which I don't fucking know why you'd want to be a UFC fighter if you want to just grind people to decisions for your entire career um, but uh, moving on Jeremy Kennedy versus Alexander Volkanovsky Volkanovsky's a super uh, super good prospect out of uh, Australia um, he's a uh, 16 and one he hasn't fought too high level competition in the UFC yet. And, uh, you know, Jeremy Kennedy isn't exactly super high level, but, um, you know, definitely, uh, definitely a good fight for, uh, for, to, to, to test both of where their skills are at. They seem like they're pr- pretty much around the same level. Um, Kennedy's coming off two, uh, back to, or th- three wins in the UFC, but, uh, last win against Kyle Boschniak, pretty impressive. He had a fight recently where he won and looked pretty good. So, um... Uh, you know, but Volkanovski is from Australia. I'm pretty sure all of his fights are in Australia, so it's going to be tough for uh, Kennedy to fly in enemy territory and, um, you know, overcome. He's definitely a uh, Kennedy is definitely a huge underdog in this, so it's going to be uh, t- tough for him to get the win, but definitely doable. Um, he's just probably got to get a finish because uh, the judges will definitely favor the uh, Aussie fighter. Um, like the matchup we talked about earlier, Rob Wilkinson versus uh, Israel Adis Adi Damn, man, that's I uh, I really should have learned how to pronounce that. If I knew I was going to be saying it so much, but um, that's going to be a really interesting fight. That's you know I love I love when the UFC gets like a prospect in from a different sport, and you want to see how he does in the UFC. Like that's what the UFC was all about. It was all about taking you know one specialist from. Uh, jiu-jitsu, kickboxing, uh, Muay Thai, wrestling, wherever, whatever it was, and, you know, seeing how they do in a fight. So when we see guys like Gokan Saki come over to the UFC from being a kickboxer, it's like, holy shit, I want to see how he does. Like, is he going to be able to stop the takedowns? Are people going to be able to kickbox with him, you know? Which, um, and his first fight was one of the most exciting fights of 2017, I think, um, when uh, him and Khalil Roundtree, uh, well, no, no, not, not Roundtree. That's who he was supposed to fight, but he ended. His first fight was against uh, against some some bum. I uh, um, can't believe uh, they gave him that uh, they, that as their first fight. I remember uh, Jared Cannonier called out Gokan Saki too. The balls on that guy. Um, Henrique De Silva, yeah. So not exactly a super high level opponent, but that that was just so so, so exciting. Um, so you know it's going to be interesting to see this guy, uh, see Israel in the octagon, see if he can uh, utilize his high level kickboxing, see how his takedown defense is looking, because you got to think Wilkinson's game plan is going to be to take him down and try to manipulate him on the ground. 
but um you know when there's two clear outcomes uh uh two clear game plans that either fighter should take you know like this israel using a stand-up or wilkinson taking him down it's interesting to see how the fights play out um they usually don't go one of those two ways for some reason um so next fight, Damian Brown, Dong Hyun Kim. This is not the the, the stun gun Dong Hyun Kim. This is uh, the off brand Dong Hyun Kim. Um, it's amazing. It's amazing that they have the same name. But uh, it's coming. He's, he's two and two in the UFC, coming off of two wins against Brandon O'Reilly and Takanori Gomi. Um, you know, Gomi doesn't really doesn't really hold much of a challenge anymore. But I mean, it's still good to get that that win uh, of a legend off of your record uh, on your record. Um, Damian Brown's been in a lot of a lot of tough fights, a lot of close decisions. Um, he's uh, you know kind of on the verge of get, getting uh, kicked out of the UFC. Honestly, he's got two two losses in a row, so he's got to know that three losses in a row is pretty much uh, pretty much yeah, your walking papers in the UFC. So he's pretty much fighting for his uh, for his uh, job here. So. Uh, would expect to see a lot of a uh, lot of tenacity out of uh, Brown, but um, not really too uh, not really too experienced with either of those fighters, so can't really give too much of a prediction on this that one. Um, Tyson Pedro is taking on Saprabek Safrov. Man, that's a crazy name, Saprabek. Um, love those Russian names, don't you? Um, Pedro's super good. He's uh, you know, he's kind of uh, kind of untested. You know, he uh, he just lost to Ira Latif in his last fight, but he's he's got uh, he's got some good good finishing skills. Uh, you know, he's got pretty uh, pretty powerful striking, and he's got also got a good submission game. He's a uh, uh, one uh, four fights by submission. Um, interesting. Uh, he has a podcast with Tai Tuivosa, who also fights on this card. We'll get to him later. Um, so uh, imagine that's funny. Uh, those guys seem like uh, seem like funny guys. Um, oh, they're brother-in-laws too. Wow, that's funny. Um, small world. Um, and you know, being in Australia, he's probably gonna you know thrive off of having the crowd behind him. And uh, so I would expect Pedro to win that fight, but not really too uh, experienced with Safarov, so don't really know what he's capable of. He lost to John Volante though, so can't be too good. Um, that fight got fight in the night though, so maybe I'm full of shit and he it was a good fight and who knows. But um Jake Matthews versus Lee Jingling. I'm very, very interested in this fight because I'm a huge Lee Jingling fan. You know, it's such a weird such a weird guy to like, but uh, you know, just type in type in his name on Google right now. L I I'll do it with you. L I J I N G L I A N G and you will hit enter and go to the uh, images, and you will think that you saw a gorilla, because this guy has a face of a gorilla. Like, the bone structure, it looks like a gorilla. And, um, you know, that's part of the reason I like him, you know, because of his gorilla appearance. And the other reason is because he knocks motherfuckers out. He's, uh, he's, he's nasty. He's got some powerful, powerful hands. Um, he's only, only got four uh, knockouts in the UFC. Um, you know, overall he's uh only six and two, but he's uh 
he he's re- he's really good. Um, he's only fought in the United States once. That's a sh- or, no, no, he has fought in the US, uh, United States a couple times. But um, this guy uh, has potential to be uh, a star in China. I imagine he's already probably one of the most uh, popular fighters in China. His last fight was in China when he got a, a knockout over Zach Aldo. And uh, I, I remember betting uh, the the KO line on uh, Jingling back then for the Aldo fight, and uh, I was waiting for that line to open up all week. Let's check in five times every day, a couple times a day. Uh, saw Jingling opened up as uh, plus 200 inside the distance, and I thought his KO line was going to be a- around the same, but it ended up opening up at plus 400. So I uh, put, a, put a pretty big uh, pre-fit bet on uh, Jingling, uh, my knockout. Jake Matthews is, is a tough guy, you know. Uh, he's pretty hard to finish. Um, but in, he, he was hard to finish at uh, lightweight where he was, you know, proportionally sized. But um, I don't think that Jake Matthews should be fighting at welterweight. He is 5'11", so he's not the, the smallest guy. But um, I don't know. I can just I can see him uh, struggling with, uh, with the size. I believe uh, his last fight against Bohan Velkovovic or whatever. Um, it was in uh, it was in Australia, so he's you know Matthews is Australian. It was a close fight, but uh, Bohan definitely won it, and uh, but they gave the decision to Matthews. So he should have three losses in a row to Kevin Lee, Andrew Holbrook, and uh, Velkovovic. But um, he luckily got gifted with that. So I mean, he there's a lot of lot of momentum behind Jingling, a lot of factors going against Matthews. So. Cheering for Jingling big time in this one. Next fight, uh, Ty Tuivasa versus Cyril Asker. Uh, Tuivasa made his uh, UFC debut on uh, Verdun versus Tibera, that uh, last card in Australia. And had a really uh, awesome performance. You know, he had that he had this sweet finish where he leg kicked uh, Coulter, kicked his legs out from underneath him, and then while he was uh, getting up off the ground, he landed this, like, weird flying knee and just knocked him out cold. So it was a pretty it was a pretty sloppy finish, you know, pretty, like, crazy, like, sloppy. He, I mean, he's got—he has never fought out of the first round. Um, so, I mean, he's very, very untested. He's—and he's also got two knockouts, losses, that aren't on his record. It might have been amateur— it might be just off of his record, but I saw two YouTube videos of him getting knocked out um, earlier this week, so he's definitely not indestructible. Um, Cyril Asker, uh, never even heard of this guy before. Two and two in the UFC. Um, hasn't, I mean, even he's lost to Cannoneer and Walt Harris. Those are the only two guys I've heard of who he's fought, and the other two guys I'm also not never heard of. So I don't really know what he's capable of, but um, you know, I imagine that the UFC probably gave uh, Tavisa a, a winnable matchup for uh, for a fight in his hometown, just like that last fight with Coulter. Um, so, you know, he's he's a pretty big favorite. Uh, uh, Tai Tuvasa, so, which is kind of questionable because he's so uh, untested. He's, su- you know, his cardio is probably pretty bad. Um, but I mean, he's he lives in Australia though, so uh, I mean, he must be way more uh, acclimated to uh, you know the elevation and everything down there, and just the schedule. The schedule is a big thing because this fight, the fight card happens at Sunday morning, I believe. So 
all the guys who are getting there a week earlier might still have problems adjusting and acclimating to the time and everything. But the, the Aussie guys are probably uh, not really having a, too much of a problem with it. So that should uh, play a lot, uh, a lot of factors in this card. Also, I believe the weigh-ins are much... Sh there's a much shorter interval in between the weigh-ins and the fight night. In, the, in most places, like the U.S., you know, they uh, they weigh in at 10 a.m. on Friday, and then they fight at, you know, 10 p.m. on Saturday. So that's almost 36 hours um, for almost all the fighters on the card. This one, I believe, is only 21 hours, so really, really uh, big difference, uh, especially to the guys who are uh, getting used to that 36-hour gap from the early morning weigh-ins, but uh, tw 21 hours is uh, could play a factor if uh, some guys are having big weight cuts. Um, moving on to the co-main event. We had the Aussie legend, uh, I think he's New Zealand, actually. New, yeah, New Zealand legend Mark Hunt um, taking on Curtis Blades. Curtis Blades is probably, like, the the best up-and-coming prospect in the heavyweight division. I mean, there's pretty much no no one in the UFC heavyweight division who's, like, young and promising right now um, that I can think of. Um, so uh, Curtis is probably the closest as to go. Uh, as it gets. The last fight against uh, Alexi Olenek. Um, it was that really weird fight on UFC 217 that ended with like the kick to the ear when Blades kicked him in the ear and um, the, basically the fight stopped after that. Super, super weird. But um, he's got really good skills. He's, got, he's a pretty good wrestler. He was a D2 wrestler. Um, but, you know, Olenek, I believe, was able to stuff, I think, 10 of 10 takedowns from Blades. So, I mean, uh, even though Olenek is super, super high level on the ground, um, he was, Blades was not able to get him down at all. So that's kind of questionable because you know, he, he would definitely want to try to take down Mark Hunt. Uh, that's the that's the path to, to beat Mark Hunt that we've seen guys like Brock Lesnar expose. Just, uh, oh, and Stipe, of course. You know, take down, ground the pound, wear him out, grind him against the cage, uh, which is the type of fight that Blades uh, thrives off of and exactly what Mark Hunt hates. So, you know, Mark Hunt may knock him out, and I give it a pretty low shot, honestly, 30% chance maybe for a, a Mark Hunt knockout, but most likely outcome of this fight is Curtis Blades by decision. Not really too good money on the odds on that. I think it's like plus one seventy, which isn't which isn't awful. But um, I don't know. I would expected it to seal. I, I guess the odds makers are pretty up to date on that one because they know that that's the path to victory to beat Hunt. And that's kind of likely to happen. Uh, you know, Hunt's forty three. Um, not really, not really much room to grow at forty three. Even though his last fight was a win against a pretty high level guy, you never know with him. Um, so I'm not. You know, I would like to see Mark Hunt win, but uh, I don't. And, you know, this is a winnable fight for him, so maybe maybe I would jump up to thirty, forty percent on the Mark Hunt knockout. But uh, Blades is is no slouch, and he's got a pretty good chin as well. Um, it's gonna be a good fight. Um, low key, good matchmaking on that. Uh, Mark Hunt's last fight. I forget who was supposed to. I think against Tybura. I think that's that's also a pretty good matchup too. The, the UFC is doing a good job giving them realistic contenders. Um, and in the main event we have for the interim lightweight, uh, interim middleweight title was supposed to be champion Robert Whitaker versus Luke Rockhold, but instead it's Yoel Romero versus Luke Rockhold. 
still an excellent fight. Um, not really better than the original fight. You know, Whitaker versus Rockhold would have been really, really good. But um, Romero versus Rockhold is still really interesting. Fans have been wanting to see this fight for a really long time. Somehow these guys just haven't gotten matched up yet. But um, fortunately, uh, this is uh, this is the time that it's going to happen. Um, five rounds for the interim middleweight title. Uh, you know, Yoel Romero always starts off the rounds, uh, the fight good. But, you know, thinking about his last fight with Whitaker, where he, he clearly won the first two rounds and clearly lost the latter three rounds, you would expect that something similar would happen with this fight. You know, uh, Rockhold would try to, would understand that he's going to get tired. He's going to, you know, uh, use all of his energy that he needs for those explosive knockouts in the first couple rounds. And then after rounds uh, one and two, when he's tired in three, four, and five, Rockhold's going to be able to take more risks um, without uh, being worried about that explosive power that uh, Romero holds at any time, which, you know, could still happen in the third round. Uh, Romero did knock out uh, Weidman in the third round, knocked out Machida in the third round, but those fights were um, were full camp. Uh, you know, even though Romero had a pretty good amount of time, January thirteenth, so twenty eight days uh, to to train for this. You know, that's still not enough for a five round fight. Um, and you know, one week for traveling, they had to travel to Australia a week early, so it's pretty much only like a three week fight camp. Um, so I imagine that UL's cardio is not uh, what they want it to be. So um, I give this fight around a, a 40% chance of Yo Romero uh, knocking out Rockhold. Rockhold's chin is very susceptible to, you know, just being hit. Um, well, his defense is very susceptible to being hit, and his chin is just, it's, 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 you don't really know what to expect with Rockhold's chin. You know, uh, that one Bisping punch caught him and, you know, rocked his shit, put him on Queer Street. But then Dave Branch hit him with a nasty combination where it looked like it could have put him down. but it, And it looked like it rocked him, but it looked like he recovered well from it. So um, Rockhold's uh, definitely, uh, you know, I wouldn't say his chin is the problem. I would just say his defense is the problem because he leaves himself open to get hit. Um and there's only, only so many shots your chin can take before it just gives out. So um, 40% chance of Romero landing a, a knockout probably rounds one through three. But then after round three, uh, I give a, a huge advantage to Rockhold. Rockhold might finish him in rounds four or five, and uh, Rockhold might win a decision. Uh, I give it like a 30% chance for Luke to finish him round four or five or 30% chance for a decision. So... Um, it's around 60-40 in favor of Rockhold. Um, it's a really good fight, but I mean, I just think Rockhold uh, wants it more. Um, he was being prepared for this fight forever. Um, Romero only got the call, like I said, four weeks ago for it, so he really had to flip a switch and you know get go into hardcore training mode. Don't really know how much training he was doing before it. Um, so uh, I would definitely say that his his. Uh, his cardio is going to be a huge factor in this fight. Um, it's still, still, uh, still very uh, intriguing fight. Like there's nothing unexciting about it, um, but uh, definitely just not not as uh, exciting as the original matchup that uh, could have been Whitaker versus um, Rocco. That would have been awesome. But um, I believe that uh, that wraps up all the news for uh, UFC 221. Um, 
uh, we'll uh, go ahead and uh, jump in the, the the news for the rest of the week. Um, biggest story: UFC 222 headliner Max Holloway versus Frank Yeager has been canceled due to Max Holloway getting a leg injury, I believe. And um, uh, this fight is unfortunately, uh, you know, not going to happen for the second time. But um, the UFC scrambled for a couple of days to try to save the card, which they did, in my mind, uh, luckily. Um, you know, they, there was talk of canceling the card or making it into a fight night or doing who knows what with it. But um, luckily, they, uh, they, got, they got their golden girl, Chris Cyborg, on the phone to, um, to save the pay-per-view. Chris Cyborg is going to be taking on... Uh, a woman by the name of Yana Kunitskaya, who is a Russian uh, female who has an MMA record of 10 wins and 3 losses. So, um, I mean, that's that's interesting. Um, she uh, She's fought in Invicta a couple of times. But she, uh, let's see... Um, Oh, okay. This is the girl who uh, this is the girl who uh, armbarred Evinger. So she uh, armbarred Tony Evinger and was like uh, uh, about. Uh, I think the ref like just called. He like he he stopped the fight while Evinger was just clearly defending the armbar, and then uh, the commission overturned the loss later. So it was a bullshit win in the first place, and it was turned around, and then Evinger beat her in the uh, the rematch. Um, and then uh, she uh, she beat a, a woman by the name of Raquel Palauli to win the Invicta Bantamweight Championship after Evinger went to the UFC. Funny that Evinger went to the UFC and challenged Cyborg, and now now this girl is going to the UFC to challenge Cyborg. Um, they're kind of, but I mean that fight is just it's just stupid in my mind. Like it's it's so fucking stupid. They they have a pay per view that they need that they need apparently. Okay, UFC two twenty two has to happen. Um, it can't be it can't be UFC Fight Night Vegas. You know they've they've had this before. UFC one ninety seven six, one ninety six um, was supposed to be in Vegas. Was supposed to be Verdun versus Velasquez too. But then that fight fell through and they just made it a fight night. It wasn't the worst thing in the world. But um. They were obsessed with saving this pay-per-view, and they can't have a pay-per-view without a title fight, apparently. So they scrapped together any champion they can. At first, they asked TJ Dillashaw to take a rematch with Cody Garbrandt. And um, people were saying it was a done deal at first, and then eventually uh, TJ came out and said, um, I'm not taking the fight. Like you, uh, I, I fought Cruz in January of 2016, and I got a rematch in November of 2017. That's two years. I waited two years for my rematch. Cody's going to wait, what, a couple months? Like, no, nah, that's not happening. And then, you know, Cody was doing his normal tough guy meathead bullshit. Like, oh, you're a pussy, you're a pussy, you don't want to take the fight, talking all this shit. Uh, but then TJ said something like, hey, man, like your wife's, your, your girlfriend's pregnant, or wife, girlfriend, whatever it, uh, whatever uh, she is at this point. Um, your wife's pregnant, right? Yeah, well, when your son is born and he's a month old, 
I'll hit you up and uh, I'll ask if you want to take a fight and then you'll understand. Which he's totally right. I mean, you know, even though Garbrandt's an, an idiot and hates Dillashaw, you got to understand that the dude had a baby like a month ago. He's probably training a couple times a week and, you know, just, just fucking meeting his son or daughter. Uh, or I think it's a son. Um, <laughs> but and especially when he's going to be in the same shoes. I mean, Cody's girlfriend is seven or eight months pregnant. So, I mean, he would he's going to be in the same shoes. So TJ literally just said, like, imagine imagine being in my shoes, man, which is totally, totally uh, reasonable. Uh, Cody's kind of a fucking idiot. Um, he doesn't deserve a rematch at all. Um, and they, that would have been uh, stupid for them to have that fight. But it's also stupid to have Cyborg versus this Russian cat. So they need they need this this title fight. So they scramble to get any any champion they can. They finally get Cyborg, and she says yes. They're gonna not do him the Amanda Nunes fight for or right now at least. They're not gonna do Amanda Nunes right now, and they're just gonna throw her against some girl who has no business being uh, being challenging for a UFC title. I mean. They're base. I mean, she has. She's on a one fight win streak, and she's gonna brought in from another promotion and thrown in the main event. Like that's just so stupid. Um, and then uh, luckily they made Brian Ortega versus Frank Yeager. That fight is fucking awesome. Uh, like such such an amazing matchup. That that fight deserves to be five rounds. It should have been a Fox fight night. Like the rest of the card still sucks. Um, uh, I don't even know what the fuck they were doing. Like they just they they totally totally messed. Like I mean th- this this fight's still gonna get hundred thousand pay per view buys. Like uh, that's nothing. Like what's the point of putting on a pay per view for a hundred thousand pay per view buys? It's it that's six million dollars re- uh, revenue. It's like you can you probably make more money off of TV advertisements on one card than you do on that. Uh, I don't understand it, but you know the UFC does a lot of a lot of stupid shit all the time. Can't really can't really. Uh, Blame them for it. A um, lot of lot of fights announced for various cards. Uriah Hall versus Paulo Boracina, uh for UFC Atlantic City. I don't, I don't know if that'll be the main event. It might be though. Um, they usually do pretty weak cards for Atlantic City. Um, let's see. Uh, this morning I bought my ticket for UFC 223, which I'm fucking excited about. I can't even explain how excited I am for this. Like, there's so, so many good fights on that card. Um, from the main event, from the prelims, I mean, um, you know, the, some fights that are just rumored to be on that are incredible. I'm, like, so, so excited for that. Um, uh checking out uh what other what other news we got uh going on in the the news this week of um fabricio verdun versus alexander volkov has been uh announced as the the main event for ufc london which is going on in march uh, late march i think there was a lot of speculation around who's going to be the main event for that people thought michael bisping was going to be but um he ended up not uh, being a main event for some reason. Uh, it seemed like there was some contract disputes, or they just couldn't find the right um, couldn't find the right opponent. But it seems like they have found the right opponent. Um, that opponent would be Leona Machida. Machida had some interest in fighting Bisping, and uh, Bisping says that that checked all the boxes, which he didn't want to. He didn't want uh, somebody too old. Uh, I forget who a uh, Vitor. He didn't want he didn't want Vitor. He and he wanted uh, someone um, 
but someone, you know, a veteran, you know, someone on their way out too, and not the hardest fight, and Machida's in a really good fight for him. Um, I mean, I was super impressed with how Machida looked. Uh, I didn't say this before, but, I mean, Machida looked like he still pretty good in that fight. Um, uh, you know, his cardio for lasted for five rounds somehow. I mean, it's just like that dude is just a lifelong martial artist. Um, you know, even though Dana White's word doesn't mean shit, he said that Valentina is in line for the next title shot against Nico Minato for the flyweight title. Um, that's obvious, you know, he has, um, I don't see any other, you know, there's straight up no other contender at that fight, uh, at that weight class. Um, Valentina is going to be the biggest favorite for a challenger in UFC history. She's going to be, uh, Minus five hundred favorite or something like that. Um, just incredible, incredible numbers. The fact that we're gonna see the a champion be you know a five to one underdog. Um, you know Dana White also pretty much bashed Mario Yamasaki all week, saying you know he makes me sick. He should never be in an octagon again. He should, you know, what you waiting for the girl to die in there? I don't know. He's an, he's an idiot. Um, he, Mario Yamasaki didn't do that much wrong. Um, Nate Diaz has come out of the come out of the weeds again and saying that he's looking to fight Tyron Woodley. Tyron Woodley also said that he would bet his house on that his next fight is against Nate Diaz, which I don't fucking get it. Like these guys are, these guys are both so money hungry, and you know Dana came out and said that you know Tyron's full of shit and he's. He's he's wrong and he's you know not happening. But who the fuck who the fuck cares what Dana says? Whatever the fighters want, if it's a super fight where they think they're gonna sell pay per views, they're gonna do it. You know, Nate Nate Diaz sells more pay per views than anybody else or welterweight right now. Not many. You know, Woodley versus Diaz does maybe three hundred thousand, but Woodley versus RDA, Woodley versus Covington, Woodley versus Thompson versus any of those guys does maybe two hundred thousand. So if they see that 100,000, 200,000 extra pay-per-views as good enough reason to throw the contenders out of the window, then so be it. The UFC's priorities are fucked at this point. Um, um, there's rumors going around that uh, Amanda Nunes is going to be fighting Raquel Pennington at UFC 224 in Brazil. Um, I guess they don't really have any other Brazilian champions to be headlining that card. But I mean, I can't imagine that does good numbers. I mean, I can't imagine any like who they're gonna have to have a huge Brazilian star as the main event. You know, like Shogun, or uh, maybe maybe Machida. Uh, no, Machida wouldn't work. Uh, maybe he could fight again. Who knows? Um, Machida Bisping. That's not a bad one. Or you know, one of those. Or maybe uh, no, Aldo can't fight this soon. But you know. Um, or maybe it would be May, maybe Aldo could fight. Who knows? Um, so they would need another Bra- huge Brazilian star to co-headline, um, and then I they they're just hoping that uh, Amanda would flatline Raquel or make quick work of her, and uh, hopefully they could still do Cyborg uh, Nunes at UFC two twenty six because their plan is for sure to do the three three uh, champion versus champion fights, uh, which would be Nunes versus Cyborg, DJ TJ, and Stipe Cormier. You know, theoretically, that that plan is still intact with uh, TJ saying that he still wants to fight DJ and... um, all the other uh, all the other factors still lining up. You know, they just of course announced the uh, the main event, Stipe and DC, and they're doing a lot of uh, 
media for that. The coach and tough. So there's potential for it to be a big card. I just don't see it happening for some reason. Um, I just don't think it's going to break the mainstream audience. It might do 500,000 pay-per-view buys, but not much better than that. I think UFC 220 was reported to do 350,000, which is not bad. Um, but uh, it's also... Uh, it's also not not exactly great numbers for a heavyweight title fight. You know, Anthony Joshua is selling millions of pay-per-view buys, and he doesn't really have much of a personality to him. But uh, so I guess we're just not not meeting the right market. Um, other than that, I think uh, I think we uh, I think we covered everything for uh, for the UFC this week. We uh, we uh, went over last week's uh, Brazil Fight Night card. Uh, we uh, previewed uh, UFC 221 this weekend. Um, let me uh, let me just give you my my official predictions for uh, for uh, some of these these fights we talked about. I'm gonna go with Ben Nguyen by decision, uh, Alexander Volkanovski by decision, um, Israel Adesanya by uh, TKO. Let's go with uh, round uh, one or two. Um, Tyson Pedro, I think will uh, will finish Safarov and uh, probably the first or second round too. Um, Lee Jingling knocking out Jake Matthews. Don't know when it's happening, but it's happening. It better. Um, that's my that's my gorilla in the fight. Uh, Tai Tuivasa, I think he'll eventually or somehow uh, get it done against Asker. I don't know. I just hope it doesn't go past round one because. Uh, both guys are liable to gas, um, so gonna go with Tyvosa just because you know uh, I don't really know much about the other guy and just ride along the, the hype train. Um, Curtis Blades by decision seems like the most likely outcome for the co-main event, and I'm gonna go with Luke Rockhold by TKO ground and pound from uh, like a you know back mount in uh, the fourth round of the main event. Um, we're just going to see Romero tire out. Luke's going to get him to ground one one last time, and he's just going to pound him out while uh, sitting on his back with you know, one of the punches to the back of the head. Um, so, you know, not the best card this weekend, but we're still going to make the best of it. Uh, still, uh, still looking forward to you know placing some bets on it. Got some good, uh, good value on uh, Rockhold decision, Rockhold round four, uh, jingling knockout stuff like that. So I'll look into more bets throughout the throughout the rest of the week. But um, you know, looking forward to tomorrow night. Hopefully, all the fighters make weight. We don't lose any uh, lose any fights. And um, I believe that's gonna be all for episode nine. Uh, I'll I'll come at you guys. Uh, Next week we have a yeah. I'll come at you uh, next week before Yancey Medeiros versus Cal, uh, Donald Cerrone. Um, we'll be recapping UFC two twenty one episode ten. I'll try to have a guest for next episode too, and uh, I believe that's gonna be all. So, ladies and gentlemen, boys, girls, aliens, Martians, any conscious being tuning into the podcast, I thank you for tuning in to episode nine of Martian MMA, and uh, enjoy the fights tomorrow night. Peace.